If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, the words will be projected on the screen. Uh, but if you're a Christian and you're part of Jubilee and uh, you've been with us for a while and you haven't got a Bible, uh, I know this is against the culture in Britain, but I just want to give you some words. Uh, as you know, um, you might have heard in the news there are lots, uh, lots of things going on in the Middle East, um, troubles all over. Uh, I probably need to be more specific because there's usually troubles going on there. But in northern Iraq, uh, you've probably heard about it. You've probably about heard about Christians being uh, persecuted. Now, what happened is um, the villages, towns, and cities of Christians in northern Iraq were invaded. Um, and then Christians were forced to renounce their faith or to pay heavy taxes that nobody could afford. The other option was to run away. Their houses were painted with, with a red letter, N in Arabic, which stands for uh, Nasrani, uh, meaning uh, Nazarene or of Nazareth, um, which means that this house is a Christian house. This was to make it easier for soldiers to go and raid the house when the deadline is over. Now, in that part of the world, carrying this might mean that you give your life. Carrying this might mean harsh punishment. On Thursday, there was a video on Facebook. I, I couldn't watch it, but it was from a reliable source about Christians being beheaded in northern Iraq. Uh, they're part of our family. This is our family, but God has given us a greater family all over the earth, all over the world. Now, I remember when I was first given a Bible, well, after begging for two weeks, uh, they gave it to me on one condition, that nobody will ever see you with this Bible. And if by chance somebody saw it as you're leaving us to go home, you must say you found it on the street and that you just thought it's a book and you were taking it home and you should just leave it there on the street. God has blessed us with freedom in this country. We are free to worship God. Like today, we are free to lift up our hands and worship and declare Him as our Lord and God. But not every part of the world is this way. So I want to challenge you. God has given us the freedom in this country to carry this with us. He's given us freedom to declare his name above everything. He's given us freedom to gather together corporately to worship his name. Let's make the best of it. Let's make the best of it. Let's be people of God who carry his kingdom wherever we go. Feed on this. Because there are people, as I said, northern Iraq for, for an example, they can't carry this. They are not allowed by law to have this. So I want to challenge you, first of all, to pray for them. To pray for them day by day. To pray for the persecuted church in, part, in all parts of the world. To bow down before the King of Kings and lift up his people to him. To bow down before the King of Kings and ask him to lead you to take his word wherever you go. Whether it's school, college, university, work, wherever you go, Take this with you. Take the word of God with you and let him lead you. Use this freedom. Use what God has blessed us with. 
Pray for people and pray for those who are persecuting Christians. Pray for them to have an encounter with Jesus. Pray for them to come to realize that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. Jesus Christ died for them on the cross so that they don't have to be religious, so that they can come before Him, believe in Him, and be saved. We believe in miracles, and we believe that prayer is a great tool. So why not use it? Why not use what God has blessed us with? So I want to challenge you. This is not ice bucket challenge. This is... <laughs> This is something for you today to remember day by day, to pray for your brothers and sisters all over the world. Right, let's move on. <laughs> like, as I said, the words will be projected on the screen if you haven't got a Bible. So we'll turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said... How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teachings he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Brilliant. Jesus being Jesus again. Uh, just to help our friends, uh, I've got three points. <laughs> I had to come up with three. It was just like really hard, but I had to come up with three. My first point is mission and identity. Now that the scribes, the elders of Jews, and the big boys, Pharisees, and everybody else who came to defeat Jesus, ask him all the hard questions in the world. Now that they've given up, because, well, there's no way we can beat this guy. They've all given up. Now Jesus comes back, typical Jesus. Now he initiates and says, look, I've got a question for you. And, you know, nobody's able to answer that question, but the big boys all run away saying, oh, it's our lunchtime, uh, we've got to go back to work, we've got this and that, I've got to pick up my child from school, and everything else. But then Jesus asks the question anyway. He brings up uh, a question from Psalm 110. He asks the question, but Jesus doesn't ask the question to embarrass these people. He doesn't ask the question to take revenge and say, look, I answered all your questions, now I've got a question for you. He's not doing that because he could have done that easily. He could have just taught the people what these Pharisees are thinking. And that would have been enough to embarrass them. He could have told the crowd what these people have done in secret. And that would have been enough to embarrass them. But Jesus came to this earth for them. He gave his life for them so that they don't have to stick to religion. 
He didn't come to embarrass us. He came to show us love and grace. That's why we're worshiping Him here today, freely, out of choice. We worship Him because He saw us, and he's, He can see everything in us. He can see into our hearts, but He still decides to say, Look, my son, my daughter, I forgive you. And that just frees you up. And all you can do is to go before Him with dance and thanksgiving and praise and sing songs to Him. So Jesus is not doing it to embarrass them. He's asking the question because He wants to tell the crowd who the real Messiah is. Psalm 110 talks about it. In Psalm, uh, as Jesus said, uh, this Psalm belongs to David. And David is addressing uh, his descendant, and he's addressing the descendant in two ways. One, obviously, descendants are junior, but David says, my Lord, this descendant of David is senior to him. Who could this be that is even greater than David, King David? So Jesus is clarifying it. Why? Because Jews had an idea of who Messiah was. They decided to ignore prophecies in parts of the Bible, uh, in Isaiah in particular, the parts that talk about a suffering Messiah, a Messiah who will be suffering for them, who will be beaten up for them. And then just stick to the parts where Messiah reigns, and of course he does, where Messiah is the king of kings, where he comes and frees up the Jews and makes them the, above everyone supreme to the universe. But Jesus is reminding them, look, this Messiah that you're talking about, yes, it's partly him, but this Messiah has to suffer. This Messiah has to go on the cross. As we've heard uh, a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus was riding a donkey, entering Jerusalem, everybody was going, yay, king is coming, yay, Hosanna, save us, you're the king. And they were all around him shouting and dancing. And now, I guess many of them have left because this person who thought is the Messiah, this person who they thought is their king, is going to come and wipe out the Romans and make them the biggest nation on the earth. He is talking about something else. And then as he's being beaten by the Romans, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't come off the cross. He doesn't manage them on a finger click. He doesn't do anything, but he's just talking gibberish, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Come on, do something. We had faith in you. But Jesus is talking about his mission and his identity, who he really is, the Son of God who came to this earth for you and I to save us, not the way we want him to save us, but the way that God has planned, because he knows it all. And he went according to the plan. It was hard, and Jesus at one point pleaded to the Father, will you take this cup away from me, but your will. Because the joy that he saw after the cross and his resurrection was greater than the pain that he had to bear on the cross. So Jesus is clarifying his mission and his identity. And our identity depends on where we stand with Jesus. Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Because it's one or the other. Do you belong to Jesus Christ or you not yet? 
Where do you stand with Jesus? When you look at him, how do you see him? Do you see him as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and is seated at the right hand of the Father? And you're looking forward to seeing him one day face to face? Or you're praying that he would come? Or do you just see him maybe as a good man, maybe as a prophet, or maybe somebody who did exist as a man? Or I'm not even so sure whether he did exist. Our identity as Christians is hidden in Christ. So to me, my identity is that, first of all, I belong to Jesus Christ. This is my identity. This is how I would introduce myself. I belong to him. And I guess it's the same for many of you here today. And if it's not, I want you to consider it. Think about it. My identity doesn't lie in my nationality. It's not my job, my social status. And of course, these are all good. But it's not, these, are, these things do not define who we are. What defines who we are is where we are with God. How you see Jesus Christ. And as we were singing, there is no power that can take us away from his hands when we are in him. But if you're not in Jesus, if you don't see yourself hidden in Christ, if you don't see your identity as being in Christ, I want to encourage you to ask him to reveal himself to you. To ask him to tell you who he really is and how much he loves you. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you to open your heart to him. Leave your heart open to him. Let him reveal himself to you in a way that he wants to. And then once you encounter him, you will be left in awe and splendor. So, mission and identity. His mission is important. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he is the Lord God Almighty. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion of Judah. He is the Savior. He is the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Redeemer. He is the Healer, the Savior. He is the one who healed Libby, as we heard this morning. Wasn't it great? This Jubilee, this is who we are about. It's not just worshiping God where we are. It's about teaching our next generation and passing it on to them. Isn't it great that Libby has the courage to come and say, Jesus Christ healed me. This is what we want to see every day. This is what we want to see and hear our children do. We want them to, to be bold for God, to go out and proclaim Him as their Lord and Savior. And not only receive that healing and the gifts of God, but to be bold and have courage and pray for the sick. This is the kingdom of God. This is who we're about. And I just love seeing these sort of things. I just love seeing our children coming, giving testimony about what God has done in their lives. And then just asking God for miracles. This is who we are. So, younger people, as you go back to college, university, work, I want to encourage you. Day by day, seek Jesus and ask him what he has for you on that day. And as you go, and as you see your friends or colleagues or whoever around you uh, is, feeling, is not feeling well, the first thing you should do is ask to pray for them. To pray for them in the name of Jesus. And it's not about you or me or about who we are. It's about him. He gets all the glory. 
because he deserves all the glory, because it's him doing it. It's not us. It's him at work. So let's pray for more of this. Let's pray for more and more. Let's pray for more healing. Let's pray for more signs and wonders. Let's pray for more of the identity that Jesus has for us. Jubilee, I want Teesside to be known for Jesus Christ, not for anything else. Of course, it has a university, but I want it to be known because Jesus is working here. We want Teesside to be one for the kingdom of God so that when the name of Teesside comes up, people don't think about poverty. People don't think about crime. People don't think about the worst place to live in, but people think and they hear the word of God working amongst the people in there. This is who we are. We are here, an expression of the kingdom of God on the earth, an expression of who God is and what he does, but it's not just limited to a Sunday morning. It's not just limited to when we get together. We want Teesside to be known and famous because it has Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus Christ is the only thing that Teesside, and in fact the whole world needs. I'm here not just to have a safe life. God has brought me away from my home, not just to be safe and live and worship Him. God has brought me here, I believe, to see revival in this part of the world. So let's pray for it and let's act on it. God moves when the people of God move. God moves when the people of God pray. God moves when we eagerly want Him to move and go before us. So we are here from many different nations, but we are here to win Teesside for the kingdom of God. And then the ends of the earth. That's how the kingdom of God expands. So let's just not limit it to our Sunday mornings, not our community group. But every day, day by day, let's put the kingdom of God at work. Let's be the people who are not embarrassed or ashamed of declaring our identity. It was great when we came back from New Day, one of the young people well, of course, there was lots of photos and everything on Facebook. But one of the young people said, I had a great time at New Day and everything else, and I'm not ashamed to call myself a Christian. I declare that I am a Christian. This is how we should all be. We should not be ashamed and embarrassed of declaring our identity because, in fact, it's a great honor. What greater honor than being the children of God, than being called the children of God? We are the ambassadors of God. This is the embassy of God. This is where God dwells. What greater honor. So why not declare it day by day? Declare it. Pray. Go for God. Be bold in Him. That was long. So, moving on to my second point. So Jesus talks about mission and identity, but then he warns the crowd about certain type of people. Um, we should be really careful not to judge, uh, but then Jesus has all the authority. He is the one with all the authority. That he comes up and says, beware, then a few other people leave and go. Because they know Jesus is going to pick on some people and he has all the right to do it. He says, beware of the scribes. They wear long robes. They have long prayers on the street corner. They are hypocrites. (laughs) They pretend. They're not who they say they are. Can we think of some people in our mind already? (laughs) Have you seen people walking in long robes? I have. Have you seen people praying long, long prayers in the street corners? 
I have. <laughs> have you seen people pretending to love God and in the first ever opportunity they get, you will see their real heart and you see who they really are? I have. I lived in a society where we have lots of them, unfortunately. I lived in a society where they actually taught us to be that way because that's how God wants you to be. Pretend. Do what you like to do in secret. Say what people like to hear in public. Jesus is saying, beware of them. As we read the Gospels, these sort of people are probably the ones that Jesus always says, beware, be careful. He always warns his disciples and the crowd around him. He says, be careful. Why? Because they pretend they love God, but they actually love their religion. And God is not about religion. Because religion is all about me. Look what I have done to deserve this. Look what I have done to receive God's blessing. Look what I have done. Look how I pray. Look how I do this. And it's all about me. In fact, the Bible is all about God. And it's all about the grace of God. It's not about you and I. Because there is nothing, nothing that we can do to be acceptable before him. There's only one place coming before the cross to be acceptable before God. Knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So Jesus is calling, is saying, beware of these people. Why? This will become apparent in Jesus' next point. Because these people, actually in Jesus' next point, are the ones who give more to the offering box. They give generously. They give a lot. But what happens is, they give it, and then just before they leave, they take it away. <laughs> they give so that it would be used for the widows, but then they steal it somehow or the other. We'll get to that point. But Jesus says, guard your heart. Why? Because whatever we do flows from our heart. We read in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, if we decide to pretend that we're praying long prayers in the street corner, it actually flows from our heart because our heart wants the honor of the people around us. And if we pray long prayers, then people will think, oh, look at this man. He's, he's righteous, isn't he? He's a great guy. He's been praying for, out, for hours and hours, not knowing that this person was half asleep anyway, not praying real prayers. But this is... This all flows from your heart. So we need to guard our hearts. Whatever we do flows from it. Jesus said, it's not something that you eat that makes you unclean. It's what flows from your heart that makes you unclean. Do you remember I told you about the Bible and having it with you at the beginning? These people that Jesus is saying, beware of them, they actually knew their Bible really well in the form that they had it. They knew it really, really well. Maybe verse by verse. They knew all the commandments. They knew it inside and out. But it didn't make them righteous. They just knew it. When it comes to putting it in application, putting it at work, well, it's for other people, not for us. And it's the same. If you just have the Bible with you wherever you go, if you just read it and memorize it, if you just have it as a book, and if you know it inside and out, but it doesn't change your heart, 
it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's all about your relationship. You see, like a family, what makes us a family is our heart relationship with God and then with one another. We are brothers and sisters here today. We are family because in our hearts we have love for one another. And it's because Jesus is at the center, he has made us a family. So it all flows from your heart. If our relationships are not genuine, if they're not from our heart, they will be destroyed sooner or later. They'll be gone sooner or later. But because it's from our heart, that's what makes us unique. It's the same with our relationship with God. If it's from your heart, you really are after him. You really want to get all he has for you. You really want to obey and honor him. Just like our uh, earthly fathers. I remember uh, when I was a child, I wouldn't go to play football in the summer. We have long summers, three months of uh, summer holidays. It's not six weeks like here. So you can imagine what parents go through. I remember I wouldn't have gone uh, to play football two o'clock in the afternoon when the sun is blazing hot uh, because I knew it would disturb our neighbors. And I wasn't so worried about our neighbors, never mind them. It was my dad that I was worried about. Not that he would beat me or anything, but because it would upset him. Because he would not be proud of his son if I do things that would disturb our neighbors. So that stopped me from doing it. It's the same with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If we have a heart relationship, then the things we do is that we always consider Him. We always think, would He be proud of who I am if I live this way? Or would I bring shame on Him if I live this way? It's a heart relationship. These guys that Jesus is saying, beware of them, they didn't have this heart relationship. They would say, well, I do this, nobody will see me not knowing that God will see them, and then pretend that they love God and they're righteous. So beware, as Jesus said, beware of religion. Don't turn the grace of God into religion for yourself. Receive the grace of God fully and walk with Him and have that heart relationship with Him day by day. And of course, when you have that relationship, then whatever you do flows from your heart. And that heart relationship will affect everything that you do in your life. One of the things that uh, that was really uh, in my heart to share with you uh, is about Jesus and this example saying that these people love the highest place and uh, they wear long robes. Many of uh, our Iranian friends, when they come to Jubilee, one of the first things that uh, they notice is um, the person who's leading and the elders and people who are leading things, they don't wear different clothes. Uh, Are they still not here? Uh, Or are they coming later? Or because being fashionably late is good. uh, they're probably coming later, and by the end of this uh, service, they, they usually ask if it's their first time, uh, who is the leader? Mm, well, I can't find the leader who has different clothes, uh, because leaders are supposed to wear different clothes, act differently, talk in a different way, and just 
really pretend a bit that they're righteous and better than the rest. Um, and then, the reason I'm mentioning this is because in one of the sessions on Alpha in Stockton, um, Raj was speaking, and I happened to be there. Um, and when Raj finished, uh, there was a time of worship. Um, I think there was a time of giving testimony afterwards. Uh, then Raj went and sat on the floor. Then at the end, one of the Iranian guys came to me and said, Look, this guy is really humble. He is the leader of a church, and yet he sits on the floor because there isn't another seat. If it was back home, he would have said, Look, away. This is my seat. He would have taken the best seat ever. Or people would have just said, oh, this is, how, this is your seat. Nobody would dare to sit on his seat uh, in there. There would be a designated seat for him. And this was a great uh, witness and testimony uh, as to who we are as Christians, as to where our identity is. It's not in the best place. When I spoke to Raj at the end, well, he said, well, because nobody gave me a seat anyway. But <laughs> not, that, not that he was humble. I was joking. <laughs> but you see, the heart relationship affects everything. And when people see it, uh, they see what God has done in us. They see that change in us. And it's not only other cultures that see it. It's the people around us. We just have to declare it and live it day by day. So, yeah, I'm glad Raj isn't here. Um, as I said, Jesus is preparing the scene for his next point. So he's saying, beware of these guys. Why? Because they give a lot. They actually give a lot, a lot of money. But why should we beware of them? Because they actually pretend. The next point is giving. They give. But their giving is not from their heart. You see, the offering box there is not the tithing. It's it's not compulsory for Jews to give. The offering box is there that if you'd like to give, you can give to the poor and widows. See, the fact that there was a widow in there, it signifies something. In that culture and still in that part of the world, widows are very vulnerable. Uh, we have different people uh, in this society, different class of people who are vulnerable, but widows are really vulnerable, especially if they don't have a male in the family, uh, an older male, in the family, they're very vulnerable because it's uh, usually husband or the son or the male side of family that is responsible for providing for the family. They provide protection, they provide with uh, the daily needs of the family, they bring status to the family, social status. This widow comes and she has two copper coins. She gives it all away. And there are people before him who give lots and lots. She didn't have to give it. It wasn't the tithing, it wasn't the, t the tenth that she had to give. It was optional if you'd like to give. And it was actually to help the widows and the poor. Now, other people come, the sort of people that Jesus says, beware. They come and give a lot so that it can be used for the widows. But because they're not giving it from their heart, they're corrupted in their heart, they steal it somehow or the other. The offering box was there to be used for the widow herself. I think that lady must have prayed beforehand, must have prayed before she had given the copper coins, because it was all she had. And usually when you have something that is little, you try to hang on to it for a rainy day 
or I might not have something to eat tonight. She might have heard God saying, go and give all you have. Have you been in that situation before? That God has spoken to you about giving something away or giving all that you have away, all that you have in your pocket, or giving something that you really love away. Her, what, what she gave was all she had. She could have kept it. What she gave was all that she would have for the night, maybe to buy some food. But she gave it away. Because you cannot outgive God. Even if you give all you have, there is no way you can outgive Him. Whatever we have is given from God anyway. So with these uh, people who were giving a lot, they were giving the the tithing on time and exactly to the last penny. They were really religious. They They would say, look, this is my income. A tenth of it will go to God. And they would give it to God. Not because... They said, oh, we'll be bearing it before God as a, as a sign of worship. Because then they would say, the rest of it is mine. I do whatever I want with it. God has nothing to interfere with this bit because I've given him his. They didn't know that it all belongs to God anyway. So we've got to bring it all before God and say, God, what would you like me to give? Even the part that we keep, we have to be considerate. We have to ask God, how would you like me to use it? It's not because we've given, we've given some to God, we can use the rest the way we want to. Uh, I'm sure some of us uh, have been in that situation where God has spoken to you about giving. And there's something great in it, because God loves a cheerful giver. As you give, you're giving something, but then you're giving it with a cheerful face. You're giving it with a joyful heart, because God has given you the honor to give something away. God has told you to do this. It's great. I'm going to tell you some uh, personal testimony right at the end. But I think it's good for us to think at this point, where are we with our finances? Where are we? Are we, saying, are we giving God what's God's? And then keeping the rest to ourselves, thinking that I can use it the way I want to? Or are we really bringing it all before God and saying, God, use it. Tell me what to do with it. Tell me how much to give and what to do with the rest. You see... Other than tithing, even in the Old Testament, it was tithing and giving to the poor. So what we have is God's. We give some to the church, as God says, and some to the poor. As I said, widows in that culture uh, were and still are vulnerable. There are people in this society that are vulnerable. Um, I was reading the news. It was really sad that um, some families, uh, some, uh, some children in some families in Teesside, uh, they, they were really looking forward to going back to school, which is a bit unusual because when you're a child, you just try to run away from school. But they were really looking, back, uh, looking forward to going back to school, not because they loved the environment or they loved being at school and learning, because they would have been given a simple lunch at school, at least a hot meal in a day. Some of them haven't had that for six weeks during the holidays. And it's not because their parents are neglecting, because they simply can't afford it. Now, the kingdom of God is at hand. We have the kingdom of God. We can pray and bring the kingdom of God down. And there are people who haven't eaten hot meal. There are little children who haven't eaten a hot meal for six weeks, and they're looking, back to, looking forward to going back to school and eat that. How sad is that? There are other people who are vulnerable. 
lots and lots of examples I can bring. Destitute asylum seekers, those who are left with no support, they're not even allowed to work, and they're just left, and the government doesn't care. What I love about the church is where the government doesn't care, the church comes and says, I will do it. This is who we are. We go and do things. We go and get them done for the glory of God. There are lots of other examples I can bring, but we're short of time. So where are we with our finances? Are we giving God what's God's and then giving him the rest saying, do what you'd like to do with it? Or are we not giving anything at all? We have a, a gift day sometime in October. I want you to prayerfully consider that. Think about it. Pray from today, God, what do you want me to give? You might think, well, I don't have much to give anyway. But did that widow have, more, have much? Did she have much? It's not the amount that we give. It's what God tells us and how cheerful our heart is, how joyful we are in our hearts. Pray about what you'd like to give. Even if you think you have little, if God tells you to give that, give it. Pray and God might give you a bigger gift and say, give this. Pray about it. Whatever it is, regardless of the amount, regardless of how big or small it is, it's important that it is given by a joyful heart, a cheerful giver. Pray about it. Lots of things to pray about now. But we're a praying people. I want to encourage you next week. Uh, we have our prayer meeting. Come, let's get together as people and pray. Christians are known for praying people. I was in a seminar a couple of years ago, and where somebody was speaking, uh, he was well familiar with the uh, history of Christianity in the Middle East. And he said, he was talking about the uh, whole uh, conflicts and everything else, and he said one thing at the end. As Christians were being beheaded, one thing that kept them going on was, as they were kneeling down to be beheaded, was that their hands were together praying before God. Even as they were being killed, they were praying for God's grace. Now, we are here. Let's pray in unity, first of all, for God's kingdom to come because the rest will be given. And then for every single matter in our lives, particularly by giving. When the world says, Teesside is poor, when the world says there's poverty, when the government starts saying that Teesside has the highest unemployment rate, when the government starts saying that Teesside, mm, don't worry about it, part of the country that you shouldn't talk about, when uh, TV programs say that this is part, the worst part of the world to live in, what do we do as the people of God? Amen. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. This is where God wants us to be because there's more opportunity for God to come and perform miracles because there is darkness. That's why we have to pray for the light of God to come and shine in the darkness because there's poverty. We have to pray for God to come and bring abundance because there is poverty. We have to pray for God to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessing. If people think this is the worst part of the country to live in, I want to live here. Because then I can pray. I have things to pray about every day. Because then I can ask God to come and expect Him to do things. As Raj said this morning, we expect God. When we go before Him, it's not like passive. 
prayers. We're not passive. We say, God, we want this, we want your will, and we want it now, and we want you to bring your kingdom down. And we expect it to happen. It's not like we pray and say, let's go home. We pray and we want to see things changed. So let's be a praying people who give generously. Let's be the people of God who are not scared of government stats, who are not scared of living in, in, in the part of the country that other people wouldn't want to live in. This is because God is with us. Uh, I just want to give you a couple of uh, personal testimonies about how God has been uh, blessing us. Over, uh, well, we've always lived on faith, but God has really blessed us over the past few uh, months, I would say. Uh, as you know, Mavish and I have been living in this country for about 10 years. Uh, when we came, and as soon as we were allowed to work, we started working. And uh, we were studying and working at the same time, and uh, we were away from our family. Uh, the support of the family is really important, particularly in the culture we come from. We're we always dependent on the larger family. Um, then uh, we were newly married. Uh, we came here. Uh, we joined Jubilee. found this as our family. Uh, and then have always been living on faith. Uh, but there's always been more than enough. At all times, there's always been more than enough. Um, a few months ago, uh, we went to a seminar uh, in Bolton, and on the way back, uh, my uh, car tire, it, it was just like, it was Abbas's fault. It was, it was just almost blowing away. I was, obviously, we hadn't budgeted for it, so we went around, uh, we didn't know the area, so I just Googled it, went to a garage, uh, I was after just one tire, but then uh, I found out that I have to change two tires because one of them was uh, almost near the legal limit. So we changed two tires, costing us about 150 pounds. Uh, we hadn't budgeted for it, but God will provide. Uh, we, he's faithful. He will do it. We got back home. Uh, less than a week later, uh, we had a check, anonymous check, from somebody. We don't know who. For 150 pounds. <laughs> then, I had to get rid of my car because uh, it's just becoming too expensive. So, I was, we were thinking of getting rid of it, and as we were thinking of getting rid of it, uh, we say, uh, my prayer was, all the time, as I was driving the car, I said, God, will you take this away and give us another one? This was my prayer. Will you take this away and give us another one? And he did. He took mine away uh, last night uh, <laughs> because he was just giving up. And he'll be giving us one tomorrow because somebody came to us and said, God has told us to give you a new car. And then uh, we, think, we were thinking of moving house. We prayed about it long and hard, and we thought, yes, this is the time. Uh, God lead us where you'd like us to go. So we looked at, we had 10 or 15 different houses on the internet asked Andy Kolko for some help. He said straight no to a few of them. Um, there was two. There were two that we had to go and look, look at. Uh, and we felt, yes, we're going to put the application in for this one. We went in to put the application form uh, uh, to rent a house. And the application fee was £250. So we thought, um, okay, God, if it's you who wants us to move, then do what you're good at. And <laughs> then... We went to uh, put the application in, and uh, as I was getting my card out, it was really painful. They said, 100 pounds. 
even less than half the price. I didn't ask why, but I just paid the 100 pounds which came out. So, <laughs> and then uh, some people at church knew that we, uh, we were thinking of moving house. Uh, they, they came, two couples came to us and said, look, we know you're moving house. We'd like to buy a house and uh, rent it to you. Uh, you can choose where you'd like to, uh, the house to be bought. You can choose which area. And then we'll buy it and we'll rent it to you. And you can rent it of us. And I thought to myself, where else would these sort of things happen? People come to you and say, we're thinking of buying a house. Would you choose a house for us? And then you can live in it. And then you can rent it. Where else on, on this planet would this happen other than the church with capital C? It's only the church that would do this. It's only a church that these sort of things would happen. Because we have received freely. We give freely. I only gave these testimonies because I just felt so joyful, not because God has blessed us. Of course he has. But even without these, he is the king of kings. He holds the whole universe in his hands. And it's just so great to tell people and share it with your family what he has done in your life. And I'm sure there's so much that he's still going to do within church, within Jubilee. I love Jubilee. You know why? Because we're not particularly uh, a rich church compared to other churches around. But uh, was it in 2010 that there was a prophecy that um, Teesside is famous for poverty, but God is going to do something at Jubilee that it will send money to places that are famous for being rich. And we did. We did. We acted on the word. Got together. We had a gift day. Raised thousands of pounds and then gave it all away. Sent it all away. Because we believe God is with us. It's not the money that we have at the moment. It's we have heavenly resources. He is with us and he goes before us with his spirit. And we have to stay and remain faithful and true to him. When the times are bad, when the times are good, stay faithful to him. When the times are bad, when the times are good, worship him. As we heard this morning, Shelley said, it's, it's really easy to worship God when, you, uh, when everything is going well. But if you don't particularly feel like worshiping, get down on your knees, lift up your hands and worship him. Because he deserves it. That is what we're going to do now. But before that, before, uh, can I ask the uh, ministry team to come up now? But as you sat there, I want you to just pray in your hearts for a few minutes. Just pray and remind yourself of what God has done in your life. Remind yourself of his faithfulness and pray that he would work through you. He would continue to work through you. And pray where you are with him, in your identity, and in your finances, in your giving. Where are you with him? If I could ask the worship team to come up, please. But can I ask you to remain seated and just before you and God, ask him what he has for you. What's the next season? What is he holding for you? We're just going to pray in silence for a few minutes and then we continue to worship him.